they always do an awesome job of, of bringing me before God. Thanks, team. You guys are awesome. Will you pray with me uh, right now? Father, right now, uh, we want to hear from you, from what you have to say through your word. God, more than my words being heard, I, I hope and I pray that um, the people of hope would hear from you this morning. God, that you would um, allow the words of your scripture to land on our hearts and on our minds, that we'd be teachable and moldable, that we'd be listeners and doers of your word, God. Um, God, I know I I can't do that. I I can't make that happen, God. Um, By your spirit, come and minister to us and serve us, God, and help us uh, to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. My name's Cor. I am the uh, junior pastor. Yeah. <laughs> I am the, no, it's, it's not an official title, but uh, senior pastor Steve is uh, saving a goose or killing a goose, one of the two. Uh, he's on a hunting trip with his son David. He'll be back next week. Uh, he's giving me the opportunity to step in. And uh, yeah, what a grace it is to be, to be here and to, to, sh- to share from God's Word. I've been touched by the passage from this morning. And uh, that, coupled with uh, having a donut party for my younger son Isaac, who's two, he's grown up fast. I'm one of those teary-eyed dads. It's like, he's two. I can't believe it. What happened? I just blinked. Um, but uh, this passage, coupled with the, the joy of family, has just been a, it's just been a great week. And I hope um, that you're able to just uh, be touched by God's Word this morning like I was. I want to take, uh, give us a trip down memory lane here, starting way back with part one of the Gospel of John. The Word became flesh. And moved into the neighborhood. Um, he, Jesus Christ became born of a woman, dwelt among us, became flesh and blood. Um, it says in verse 18 that no one has ever seen God. But God, the one and only, Jesus Christ, who is at the Father's side, has made God known. So cool. And so we talked about what that looked like and kind of unpacked that. That was kind of our introduction to the whole series on John. And then part two, which you took many, many weeks to, to kind of stay and soak up and dwell in, was just this idea of who do you say that I am? Meeting Jesus Christ through his signs and ministry. And we looked at tons of signs, tons of interactions, tons of conversations in which Jesus Christ is trying to reveal himself to people, religious leaders, you know, his own disciples, people in the world at that time. And that has brought us to the third and final installment of our trip in, um, in this book of John. And it's called Suffering and Glory, the procession of Jesus Christ to the cross. That's, that's where we're at. We've been in here a couple weeks. But this, the, the thing about it, the thing, you might not know why Jesus Christ died. I know I, I grew up in church, went many Sundays, and just didn't know. Didn't understand why Jesus Christ died, why he had to die, why he wanted to die. Um, There's a passage in John chapter 12 that says, you know, Jesus is faced with the cross, and what is his attitude? Now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. This last part that we're in, this last series that's going to take us uh, until about September to get through, is all about what Jesus did, what the cross secured, what it brought about. 
If you want a book on it, if you want to cheat, <laughs> go get this book, Passion of Jesus Christ by John Piper. The subtitle, 50 Reasons Why Jesus Came to Die. And that's, that's where we're going to be at. We're going to be talking about this. Just a couple of them from this book. He died to absorb the wrath of God. He died to please his heavenly Father, to achieve his own resurrection from the dead and secure our resurrection from the dead. He died for the forgiveness of sins. He died to take away our condemnation, to make us holy, to give eternal life to those who believe in him. He died to reconcile us to God, to free us from the slavery of sin, to call us to follow his example, to unleash the power of God in his gospel, to destroy hostility between the races, to rescue us from final judgment, and 36 more other reasons why Jesus Christ came to die. And so Jesus, the, the thought of, man, save me from this? No way. This is why I came. This is what it's all about. And in doing, in the suffering and glory of Jesus Christ as he, he makes that procession to the cross, it results in immeasurable benefit coming to us, which is cool. It's like we get, you know, he gets the suffering and the glory, and yet somehow we get, we get a payoff in it. Really cool. Well, that, that takes us to the title of today's sermon, The Prediction of Jesus, The Betrayal of Judas, The Plan of Jesus, The Belief of the Jury. Some title, huh? Huh? My wife didn't like it. <laughs> She's like, it's way too long. I talked to Steve and he's, he said, oh, you got a colon in there. And then he kept reading. He's like, oh, you got two colons in there. It's like, why not, you know? So that's, that's the title. I think, I think you'll understand. I think we'll get there. But uh, let's, let's pick it up in our story in John chapter 13, beginning in verse 21. We're looking at the prediction of Jesus, the betrayal of Judas, the plan of Jesus, the belief of the jury. Verse 21, it says, After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table close to Jesus. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. So from last week, we know that Jesus is with his disciples before the feast of the Passover. And in these verses, we hear a prediction of Jesus. One of his disciples is going to betray him. And when I talk about prediction, it is what you're thinking about. Okay? He's talking about the future. He's making a statement about the future. Now, when people make predictions, there are true predictions and false predictions. And I've compiled some false predictions for us, for perhaps our amusement and hopefully to clarify this. Number one, there is no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. It's like, dude, 
wrong, dude. You're way off. Only a couple billion dollar loss because of that estimate there, buddy. Number two, personally, uh, impactful. A cookie store is a bad idea. Besides, the market research report says Americans like crispy cookies, not soft and chewy cookies like you make, Mrs. Fields. It's like, man, if she would have listened to that, I'd be out my soft and chewy cookie that I so enjoy. Number three, the wireless music box, the radio, has no imaginable commercial value. Who would pay for a message sent to nobody in particular? You know, just sending that radio show out to just nowhere, you know. Who would want to listen? Number four, Lewis Pasteur's theory of germs is ridiculous fiction. like, wow. Toulouse, yeah, I don't think we go there for our, our understanding of germs, okay? Number five, Decker Recording uh, Company rejects the Beatles in 1962 saying, we don't like their sound and guitar music is on the way out. <laughs> what do you got, Tim? I mean, clearly you haven't got the, the memo on that, you know? It's just on the way out, brother. 55 years later, Okay. Number six, stocks have reached what looks like a permanently high plateau from the professor of economics, Yale University, Irving Fisher. What year is that again? Ooh. History says, hmm, kind of. How about this? From the U.S. Atomic Bomb Project, the, the atomic bomb will never go off. I speak as an expert in explosive. <laughs> Yikes. That's the guy leading our military Brom project. Number eight, I confess that in 1901, I said to my brother Orville that man would not fly for 50 years. Two years later, we ourselves made flights. This demonstration of my impotence as a prophet gave me such a shock that ever since I have distrusted myself and avoided all predictions. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Christians should heed the warning because of this picture. Here. Photograph taken, 2002 by Aaron Sherman, Cambridge, Massachusetts. Jesus is coming on October 28, 1992. I missed the boat on that one. So, so there are true predictions, false predictions. In our story, Jesus makes an incredible prediction. One of the twelve is going to betray him. Kind of setting the scene, if you can see it there, the disciples don't know who he's talking about. So obviously the question is, Jesus, who is it? Peter, you know, too timid to ask Jesus himself, gets John to do it. John leans back in, says, Jesus, who is it? Which one of us? Which of the 12 are you talking about? Who do you predict is going to betray you? And then kind of the photojournalist in me kind of takes takes uh, over, you know, and I kind of like see Jesus' hand holding like the morsel of bread, you know, and it's just kind of zoomed in on his hand, and then all of a sudden the camera just kind of tracks his hand as he goes down, and he dips it, then it kind of pans out, and he kind of, all of a sudden the disciples come into view, and you see their eyes just riveted to his hand holding the bread, you know, just hoping that that hand isn't coming their way, you know, and then boom, there it goes to Judas, you know, it's just dramatic, But Jesus in this predicts the betrayal of Judas. Now, we could go into depth about 
the things in Judas's life, the fact that he was taking some money out of the money bag and how this got him to this point. We could look at the disciples who have been in Jesus' presence and have seen different things like this and they're just kind of unwillingness to understand it. We could go that route. But I'm going to keep on taking us through the text because I want to hit something that just so powerfully landed with me. All those things are admirable things to, to, to look at and to research and to pray about. But I want to look at the plan of Jesus. Jesus is doing something with this prediction. He wants to bring about belief in the jury, belief in the people that are witnessing this, the watching. So in order to do that, i got to give you the three verses that I didn't share last week. Steve, and Steve ended in verse 17, and then I kind of picked it up in 21, so kind of left out some verses, left you in the dark. Sorry about that. All right, let's go back there. Verse 18. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Heel in the scriptures talks about rivalry and strife and, and discord and uh, tension. So he says, He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may, may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. Why is Jesus telling the disciples all this? I'm telling you this. Before it happens, okay? So then when you actually see this happen, when you actually see Judas betray me, you'll believe. You'll believe that I am he. Jesus wants to take something and speak it so that the disciples can see and understand, okay? What is he trying to communicate? Something about God. Namely, God knows the future. It's like, whoa. No, I mean, we're, at some level, we all, we all believe that, but God doesn't just know like all the possibilities, all that could happen, all that may happen. God knows what will happen. And through this, Jesus is trying to make that clear. He's trying to make the foreknowledge, the fact that God knows he has all of time in front of him and he knows every detail before it comes to pass. He's trying to make that abundantly clear to his disciples. I want to read a couple passages that speak to this. The fact that God knows the future. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet, un, not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Okay? Isaiah 45. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Old Testament prophets made predictions. Okay, The fact that they were judged true or false is based on whether it came true or not. That's, what, that's the, the, the teaching in Deuteronomy 18. How may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? People are going to say, hey, I heard this from God. I'm going to tell you. How do we know those words that aren't from God? In verse 22 it says, When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. If I'm telling somebody something, it's going to come to pass because I know it's going to come to pass. I know the future. And so the prediction, in this prediction, Jesus wants to reveal to his disciples, to his jury, that he is worthy of their belief. He has foreknowledge. He is God. 
And so that's kind of where I was at Tuesday of this week. I kind of got to this point. Studied the passage, laid it out, got there. And then I was kind of like, just not satisfied. You ever do that? Just like, God, there's, there's something more. Teach me something more. You know, give me something. I want to I wanna know more. And I feel like I was just blessed by God. You know, after wrestling with him and, and wrestling with the passage and prayer, just like, felt like God just opened up something to me. It was, it was like I was just in my office and Jesus was the teacher and he was just showing me what he's doing. Because I was wondering, why is this in here? Why is, is, it, is it just for the historical account, just about Judas? Is it just so that we can see a, another time where Scripture is fulfilled? That here's this prediction made in Psalm 41 and boom, here's Judas bringing up his heel against Jesus. Is that what it's all about? Clearly, it is to show that Jesus Christ knows the future. But more than that, and, and, and this is where, I, I mean, it just clears that just... You know, in my office, inside the door, on the left. I was kind of pacing back and forth, and then I like, came to the closet, and boom, it just kind of hit me. Going back to John 1, verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only Jesus Christ, has made God known. It's like I knew that, but a light bulb still went on. I understood it fresh for the same way. The goal of Jesus was to make the Father known. Jesus made himself flesh, took on flesh and blood, became visible to us in order to communicate things to, to us about an invisible God. No one's ever seen him. Only the one who's come from him has made him known to us. It's so cool. In this passage, in our current passage, Jesus took one of the Father's invisible attributes, his foreknowledge, his knowledge of things that are going to come up tomorrow. Okay? Judas is going to betray me. I'm telling you that now. And then you're going to come and experience it. And then, in that, in that little deal there, I'm going to make God, who is invisible, his foreknowledge, I'm going to make it visible and real and something you can see for the purpose that you'd believe in me. And as, as that kind of light bulb was coming on, it's like, huh. And I started paging through the rest of the book of John, where we've been. I mean, this is Jesus preaching style. Like, if Jesus had a preaching style, it's like, all right, I came to make the Father known. He's invisible. I'm going to take something that's very visible, it's easily understandable by you, and I'm going to take that to try and communicate something about the invisible God. And he does this over and over and over again. Way back in chapter 1, he calls Nathaniel. I don't know, you guys might have to page back and look. He calls Nathaniel. And he says, Ah, I saw you before I called you. You were under a fig tree. And Nathaniel's like, Yeah. Wow. And he, he just is like, Jesus, you're so awesome. And Jesus, is like, you know, that's just one thing. You're going to see greater things than that. You're going to see angels ascending and descending on, the, on me. You know, he takes something visible, something that Nathaniel could understand, could relate to. It's like, I really was under a fig tree. How would Jesus know that? And in that, he reveals something about God the Father, that God knows. He sees all. He knows all. Okay? He changes water to wine in chapter 2. He takes something that somebody could see. This was water. It became wine. I can do that. That communicates something about God the Father who's invisible. What you've seen me do, my power over nature, my power over the material world, the Father has that. That's true of the Father, who's invisible. He talks about the temple being destroyed, and they're like, 
wow. And he's like, ah, no problem. I'll rebuild it in three days. And they're like, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. How are you going to rebuild it in three days? Okay, he takes something here, this temple that they're standing in, something they can understand. And he's communicating something about God's ability to bring about new life and a resurrection. He's talking about being, after his death, being buried three days and then being raised to life. He speaks to Nicodemus. You remember this? Talks to Nicodemus about being born again, something that he should understand. Physical birth. He talks about somebody being born of the Spirit, and he compares that to the wind, something that Nicodemus should be able to understand in order to try and communicate something about the invisible God. He uses the physical to talk about something deeply spiritual. Samaritan woman. She comes to draw water. Something understandable. He says, ah, if you come to me, I'll give you springs of water, welling up to eternal life. Here's something that she can understand, something visible, something tangible, and tries to communicate something about God. Invisibly healing a man. Do you remember what Jesus said when he said, you know, gave the reason for doing this? So that you can understand that I have authority to forgive sins. That was his kind of teaching about why he healed the man. He uses something that very visibly they'd be able to see, like, this guy, he's healed. And Jesus he says, boom, God has authority to forgive sin. Do you see that? Do you understand that? He multiplies the loaves in uh, John 5 and 6. And he's hoping that they're going to be able to understand the sign, the miracle. He's hoping that they're going to be able to see God's creative power, his control over the entire material world and and over the entire visible world. But they don't. They just come back because they've, they've eaten the loaves and they've had their fill. And Jesus says, Don't labor for this bread that perishes, but bread that the Son of Man offers, which will never perish. For me, it just, the whole book opened up when I finally understood that in his miracles, Jesus is trying to communicate something about the invisible Father. Listen to some of his teachings. As you have that in mind, as you have it in mind that, that, that no one has ever seen God, but Jesus Christ came to make the Father known. If you have that in mind, listen to some of his teachings. In John 5.19 he says, The Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. So Jesus, he goes and he heals physically, visibly, something you can understand in order to communicate something about the Father. The foreknowledge that Jesus possesses, again, is something he, he, he brings it about in a way that we can understand it, we can see it. Did Judas end up betraying Jesus? Yes. He makes it clear to us, something that the Father possesses, an attribute of God. He makes it clear. Look in John 5, 37. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding you. For you do not believe the one whom he sent. Me. Jesus makes it clear. You've not seen him. You've not heard him. But what's wrong? You're not seeing me either. You're not seeing the visible, the physical. I'm the one who's here to come and make it understandable to you. In chapter 6, verse 38 and 40, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, 
but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So cool. So cool that God would send his Son, make him visible so that we can understand the invisible. I got a couple more here. I mean, I just keep turning the pages and it's everywhere. I can't believe I didn't see it, you know. 657, as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. And 717, my teaching is not, is not my own, but it, it is his who sent me. And 819, if you knew me, you would know the Father. That verse just takes on all different, uh, a whole new meaning for me uh, this week. In 10.30, I and the Father are one. And in today's verses, whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. Over and over and over again, Jesus is trying to make us understand God, the Father, His invisible nature. No one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side has made Him known. The Father is put on display um, by Jesus. Jesus does only what he sees the Father doing. If we have truly seen Jesus, if we truly experienced him and loved him and believed in him, Jesus says, then you've experienced, believed, and trusted and loved the Father. The foremost way, the biggest way is where we're at right now. The foremost way of Jesus revealing the Father, the attributes of God the Father, is where we're at. Part three, the suffering, the glory. Jesus Christ's procession to the cross. So many things of God are communicated through the cross. Justice, mercy, love, grace, humility, honor, power communicated through the cross. We see His great work for saving sinners at the cross. We see His infinite, unrivaled glory at the cross. We see His faithfulness, His wisdom. Earlier we sang this song, Nothing But the Blood. And there's a verse that says, Your cross testifies, reveals, speaks to, in grace, tells of the Father's heart to make a way for us. The cross is God's way of speaking. So the Father says, I want to speak. I want to, I want to show my invisible, holy, powerful, awesome nature. I'm going to do it through the cross. So as we continue um, in part three of the Gospel of John, I just want to challenge you to see the Father in the visible ministry, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hoping that we will become like uh, John. As he writes in, in, the, in 1 John chapter 1, he writes this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. It's not just that you see the preaching style of Jesus. It's that you see in order to believe. It's not just that you see the prediction and then Judas actually does betray. 
and think, wow, that's cool. No, it's ultimately so that you'd believe, that you'd trust, that you'd follow, that you'd rely on Jesus Christ. What has this meant for me? I mean, this is, it's been, a, it's been an incredible week. I've so appreciated Jesus in the role of making the Father known. Like, I'm a, I'm a dad, and so, like, I really want Drew and Isaac to, like, know what I think about them. You know, like, I have a heart of love for them, and I'm just so proud of, of who they are and so thankful to God for the personalities that they have, and they're unique, and I just want all of that to, like, you know, like, be shown to them, and it's hard. It's just hard in the midst of life and in, in times of discipline, and it's just a challenge to, to make that known, but there's just those moments where, you know, I ask them, you know, I just get up the courage, you know, just, Drew, do you know how much Daddy loves you? And not all the time, but, but many times recently, he's just, with, without even saying anything, he just starts shaking his head violently up and down, you know, just, you know, just, you know, what a blessing, you know, to, to have that. But I'm so thankful for Jesus making known, making clear, making visible, making understandable all these invisible attributes of my Heavenly Father. Jesus' visible actions were intended for you and me to see into the unseen. To know a love that surpasses knowledge. To believe the almost unbelievable. So in what we've talked about, in seeing all that Jesus has done in his word, the question is just, do you believe? Do you love him? Do you treasure him? In seeing Jesus, you see the Father. I want to end with one line from 1 Timothy. Now to the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I want to thank you for making the Father known uh, to us. His love, his grace, his glory, his power, his honor, the list is infinite. And we thank you that you became flesh and dwelt among us. God, will you this week all the more allow us to treasure you and your Son. We pray this uh, in Jesus' name by your Spirit. Amen.